Howdy folks, how are you doing today? I am uh, Sharath, your host of the Community Decoded podcast powered by Thredo. Thredo is a community management platform. Uh, we're so proud to say that, you know, we, we serve customers like Notion, Mixpanel, you know, AWS and so on and so forth. Uh, but today I have a very exciting guest and I've been thinking about speaking to the guest for a long time. I have like some questions prepared and whatnot. Uh, it's none other than Mark Birch. Uh, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, Mark? Doing well. Thank you. Thank you for awesome. having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm stoked uh, to dive a little deeper about a lot of topics, uh, especially, you know, how to build like dev communities. You seem like a, like a Jedi in that. So uh, before, before we dive into the podcast, I, let me give you guys a brief intro of Mark. Mark is a global startup advocate at AWS. Uh, he, he, he was a, he's an author of Commit in the Box book, which talks a lot about building communities, how to do like in-person events, you know, uh, virtual events or, and as such. And he's also the founder of Biz Dev the Dev Biz Ops. Sorry. And he's he's doing like a lot of community initiatives. He's been to conferences. He's, he runs his own clubhouse show as well for AWS community. And I think you also worked with uh, Stack Overflow previously. So welcome to the show. I'm excited and we have a lot to unpack today. I think fundamentally, first of all, let me dive into asking this question, which is what the hell is a global startup advocate and how does the, the role play in community building? Sure. Well, maybe perhaps uh, as a bit of background to help folks understand the role that I play, I've been a startup founder, investor, operator. I've worked at companies like Stack Overflow to build out their SaaS business. Mm -hmm. I've been both a developer mm -hmm. and a salesperson. So I have this real mixed bag of experiences. And mm -hmm. I've been involved in building, growing, and scaling communities. So mm -hmm. when I was contemplating leaving Stack Overflow to jump back into starting my own thing, a friend of mine right. reached out at AWS and said, hey, uh, there's a role, I think it would be perfect for you, and it's called Startup Advocate. Mm. And I wasn't really interested in joining a big company. I said, well, no, I really like being in the startup uh, world. Right. But speaking to a lot of other folks at AWS and getting a sense of what the role would be, I found it really mm -hmm. intriguing. And also I found the culture really, really just fascinating. And mm. So my role, it's fairly multifaceted, but I look at it as being a, a thought leader. So generating content that helps startup founders think about the future, think about what they're doing, you know, all the way down to a practical level. It's also about mm -hmm. building and being involved in communities. And mm -hmm. lastly, it's about evangelism. So speaking at events, mm -hmm. as well as telling the stories mm -hmm. of folks that are building on AWS, building companies mm. and proving what's possible by building on AWS. Mm. That's, I think you, you have a, you have a, you have an in-depth knowledge about, you know, how developers and founders think, which is, which is quite fascinating, you know, for a role like that, it requires you to like have an empathy towards it, which is also a highest quality in my opinion of a community builder. So I think that's a, so perfect. I feel like you know you, you've you've hit a jackpot there, working as an advocate for you know rooting for these developers and like narrating these founder stories. Uh, that's so interesting. And when when you talk to the founders and when you bring this these type of stories out, and how do you present it to the world? Like, what is something in terms of initiatives like you do at AWS? Uh, that you primarily say, okay, or, or, or you're like proud of, okay, we, we presented this initiative or like, you know, we presented X number of stories. How do you do that? Like, what's your process in uh, thinking? I'm at AWS. We are a culture and a company of builders. That's our, our mm -hmm. ethos. 
really the DNA of mm -hmm. all the folks that do well here. And so mm -hmm. it really starts with an idea and executing on it. And so mm -hmm. in the early days of social audio, Clubhouse was the most mm -hmm. notable, Twitter spaces, mm -hmm. there's others. But I saw it as a medium to have really great conversations to connect and engage with both just a wide range of individuals across the world. And this right. is obviously during a period of time when we couldn't be in person. Mm, My role that's was true. very yeah. much about being in person or being involved with large groups of people. True. And so right. it occurred to me that maybe we can leverage this as a platform and without necessarily going through getting a whole bunch of permissions or asking, should mm -hmm. we do this or not do this? I went ahead and started the mm -hmm. AWS startups show on Clubhouse. Mm. And at first it was just right. a few AWS folks sharing what we do in the startup world, talking about technology. Mm -hmm. But over time we started inviting uh, folks that were building on AWS. We were inviting founders. Sometimes we'd add some investors to the mix. And over the course right. of about a year and a half, we had over 300 shows that we hosted wow. across all different regions of the world, not just here in the US, but in Europe, yeah. Africa, in Asia. Uh, we did a whole 24 wow. hour That's around the world show uh, to highlight mm -hmm. AWS culture and how we're involved in mm -hmm. uh, various different communities and how we work across the world. We've covered different mm -hmm. topics from FinTech the healthcare life sciences mm -hmm. to robotics, mm -hmm. space, agritech. Yep. And it's just been an amazing opportunity to reach out to over a hundred thousand listeners that have been part of our shows during that time. Wow. And so to me, wow. it's particularly my role. It's about how do mm -hmm. we find ways to connect to the entrepreneur, mm -hmm. to that builder, mm -hmm who's just getting started thinking about their idea, maybe getting this notion of wanting to be an entrepreneur and helping them see mm. the path towards building on AWS as a means to help them to be successful. Mm. Right. And, and we can fairly say this out loud now, AWS is everywhere. You know, I, I, have, I have never seen a, a startup or a, a founder who's not using AWS. So it's pretty much like sp spread out like a virus in a good way. And kudos to you guys uh, for building that culture you're mentioning, right? Like by empowering people to like, hey, if and portraying one story and inspiring others, right? That's like the best way to connect, bring people together. And it's, it's sort of like community building itself. I'm just curious, you talked, we're, we're in like, what? eight minutes in the conversation, you mentioned so many times about AWS culture. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about, uh, it's, AWS is not a 10% team. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big beast. Amazon itself is a big beast. And in that big beast, how do you guys prioritize uh, goals versus being human or outcomes versus focusing on inputs? Basically, how do you focus more on uh, getting your hands dirty and being scrappy? Like you said, like all founders are fundamentally scrappy by nature, right? Mm -hmm. And when you go to like that scale, sometimes we miss that. We, we, we have to prioritize. Uh, there is a process, there is hierarchy and all that. So talk to me about like the culture and how do you guys think about community, especially dev community since, you know, of, or, or community of builders. One of the things we like to say at Amazon is working backwards. Mm. And let me work backwards from that question because I think ultimately it comes down to community and why we're having this conversation. And mm -hmm. from the early days of AWS in particular, we saw that there was this incredible ecosystem of folks that are building and super enthusiastic about building on AWS. Some of that was the great work of folks like Werner Vogels, our CTO, 
and Jeff Barr, who had just an incredible reach in sharing all this cool stuff that we're building in AWS. But it's more than just about technology. It's about real stories, right. about use cases, about technology which matters and has an impact, right? So mm -hmm. early days, we started to bring all these enthusiasts together in our AWS user groups. And some of these folks were creating amazing content, speaking at some of our mm. own events, like reInvent, mm. or mm. starting their own meetup groups, or talking about AWS at other developer conferences. And so right. we started to build these programs like AWS Heroes and AWS Community mm. Builders to mm. recognize these incredible contributions to the broader ecosystem of folks that are building an AWS to mm. recognize them, incentivize them, and to give them visibility that one, from a motivation standpoint, people are super right. excited about. It's like, yes, even though AWS may seem like this big organization, there's real right. people here and they care. Mm. And so, when I think about the, the question about culture, ultimately, what is it about AWS that enables us to foster these types of incredibly tight-knit communities and to mm. have the trust to enable these incredible heroes, community builders, and user group leaders to mm -hmm. build their own incredible communities locally in their communities. And it comes down to, I'd say, the number one leadership principle that Amazon has mm. essentially ingrained in our DNA, and that's customer obsession, right? Mm. Thinking about the customer first. Yeah. And so for us, when I talk about working backwards, it's listening to our customers mm. and not trying mm. to predict what they're going to say or to think about what they may want. It's really listening. Right. Listening right. first, taking in that that input, that feedback, and understanding, well, right. what is the solution? What's the best way? What's the approach that we should be taking here that will best serve right. the, the goals of our customers? And that's how our goals are set. And the mm. same goes for community. And when you right. have that customer-centric approach that's ingrained mm -hmm. in all that we mm -hmm. do, I think it right. sets the stage for other types of behaviors that you see at AWS. Right. You know, I'd say the way that uh, people approach us and mm -hmm. the way that they respond, a lot of people say, when I talk to AWS, you get a clear sense that there's a sense of humility in understanding mm -hmm. that they're doing something that's really important on behalf of customers, mm -hmm. that there's this incredible desire to innovate, to mm -hmm. invent and simplify, to dig deep mm -hmm. on customer problems, and ultimately mm -hmm. to deliver results, which by the way, all those that things I mentioned are part of our leadership principles, the things that are mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely that make our culture work. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've you've hit a you know nail in the coffin when you said about customer obsession, and I think that's. I think I personally refer to that a lot as a founder. I always think about customer comes first, and whatever you do, doing service to them is the most important thing and the most sacred thing that any founder can do. Like apart from building a product or you know something for them to solve their problem. Uh, I really, really appreciate you for sharing that ethos with me today and with the listeners. And I feel AWS Heroes almost sounds like Salesforce Trailblazers. Like, you know, they've, they've implemented this huge, you know, Trailblazers program. It has that intrinsic vibe. And you, you've touched upon a great point, which is listening. Community building is all about listening first and executing next, like doing something for them. That should come from them, which is, you know, whatever it is, like it can be a dev group here, or it can be like a group of builders, it can be a group of 
i don't know sas founders whatever it is when you listen the the follow up question i have is it's not always you get right signals right you 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 might they might mislead you providing wrong signals how do you pick those signals like okay this for example in a world where covid happened the right signal to go right there is when it comes to community building is go online like hmm. double down on the internet sure. focus on audio you know first platforms like clubhouse that's a right signal right there you picked and you kind of like you know and there might be a wrong signal as well so how do you differentiate as a as an advocate while you talk to these folks which signal to pick which signal to like you know discard a lot of this really comes down to how you make decisions mm-hmm. and i think it's part of our nature in a general sense to mm-hmm. feel we want to have all the information before we make a decision it gives us comfort mm-hmm. but when you really unpack that the reality is that you never have enough information if we had all the information up front we'd make all the right decisions right. and we'd all be uh, sure. very well off <laughs> right uh, but like that's clearly not the case <laughs> so right ultimately the the real superpower here is being able to make decisive decisions quickly and hmm. the reality is that most decisions aren't aren't life threatening in <laughs> most types of business scenarios right or most community scenarios the reality is that most decisions are what we call two way doors you go in that door you make that decision you look around and you say hmm well this didn't work out all that well and then you walk it back right. and you choose another door right but then there are some decisions that are one way doors and those are the doors you walk through and there's really no going back those are big decisions those are true the type of decisions that will in- deeply and widely impact the business the community life right. your career mm-hmm. but very few decisions are actually ever one way doors mm. and so i think having that type of framework frees you from the paralysis that tends to happen in making these decisions and realizing that it's not about making mistakes it's not the idea of failure it's the idea of experimenting learning true adjusting right. and leveraging those small iterations over time to get to the point where you are where you are making the right decisions and right. that i think is a much more healthy approach to trying anything mm-hmm. in life and particularly when you're managing your community there's so many things you're not going to know ahead of time when i started the enterprise sales community back in 2014 there was no playbook for how to build a community i did not know and i was not really <laughs> expecting to create mm. a, a quote unquote community it was right. me just scratching an itch to say hey mm. people keep on asking me about this thing called b2b sales with all the founders mm. i'm advising or invested in let me bring them all together bring some sales experts and we can all learn together and hopefully i can be i can remove myself from the conversation well that one meeting mm-hmm. turned into another meeting and a third and a mm-hmm. fourth and before i knew it i had other chapters i had chapter leaders i had volunteers i had had to worry about monetization and mm-hmm. managing people and how to organize this big unwieldy thing that wasn't a corporation it was something wholly right. different right yeah and so there's a whole bunch of decisions i had to make without the benefit of 
you know, foresight without the benefit of a manual or any sort of guidance or mentorship. I just made decisions. If it was wrong, right. I walked it back. Maybe I had to apologize. And then I tried a different path. Right. I, I love that analogy, what you said about two-way door versus one-way door. And I think, you know, in, my two cents there is for listeners, I think life's mostly what you do in life is all about trying. Uh, and when you keep on trying, 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 at some point you will win. And if you lose, that's a lesson. Not It's it's not something that you're losing or anything. It's really like you're learning, right? Like I think the, the switch, the flip switch there is to how do how do I convert when I when something didn't work into like something that I learned, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel you've put it in a much much better way and a great way of a great analogy like two way door and one way door. I I personally loved it. Uh, and how do you handle uh, success, right? Like take take your enterprise sales as as a one person team. How do you identify community champions, right? To me. Uh, at my in my experience working at product hunt community you you again made it a, made a perfect point of saying you should step back if you're building a successful community that's a that's a successful sign for a community growing right like as a community leader you step back and it grows by itself sustains self sustains by itself how do you identify uh, community champions and how do you handle that kind of growth even at AWS right now like it's such a big thing you have multiple things multiple initiatives going on how do you disconnect but at the same time care about community the reality is that it's going to be a struggle always mm. and that's the real conundrum about communities Communities work best when you have lots of people that are involved contributing. When you are able to identify those those champions or true fans and Mm -hmm. give them and empower them with the ability to, to be involved in an active way in building, growing and and nurturing that community. Mm-hmm. We've seen this time and time again with large-scale communities. In my time at Stack Overflow, we had moderators. Right. Stack Overflow wasn't trying to manage this huge global Q&A resource for developers. Yes, we ran the, the infrastructure. We had mm-hmm. some set number of you know, rules and policies, but for the most part, a lot of these were self-governing through votes that we do with each one of the different uh, different particular Q&A mm-hmm. sites mm-hmm. To, to vote on the moderators. And we also had a whole bunch of uh, things that we built in the platform around gamification, badging, recognition, reputation points that over time, if you were really contributing to the community, you'd get more and more responsibilities. You know, up right. to uh, almost a level of an elected moderator. Mm. So, in many ways, I looked at that as an incredible model around a decentralized community mm. where a community can truly work for the benefit of all mm-hmm. by removing the centralized authority away from mm-hmm. the day in, day out activities of the community. But the reality is that for the vast majority of communities, if you're a founder or founding team in that community, Mm. you will be involved for the long haul. In many Mm. ways, building a community is like building a startup. Mm, Absolutely. Instead of building a product and having a maniacal focus on Mm -hmm. achieving product market fit, as a community builder, if this is something you're really intentionally focused on, mm. you're looking for community market fit and maniacally focused on building a community that is serving this broad market. And when I say broad, I mean, it could be niche, 
could be a maybe right. a small number. Like the number itself mm-hmm. isn't really the important part. You know, it's not about the magnitude. Yeah. It's really about right. You know, bringing in that constituency of like-minded individuals that both want to take value and give value and be involved in this community. And you will find those those advocates internal to the community that rise up and take on leadership roles that volunteer. But it's very hard for you, if you are the person founding the community, to necessarily extract yourself fully. And I've seen this myself. I've seen this with other communities. I was just at this uh, incredible conference called Startup Grind Global in California mm-hmm, yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Right. And Startup Grind has been around even longer in enterprise sales form. I think they founded themselves in 2010. We're just founders right. in the startup community in San Francisco that wanted to get together to help each other out. And then right. very quickly spawned into multiple chapters around the globe. But right. Derek Anderson, who started everything, yep, the founder, he's yep. still pretty involved. He was there, yeah, uh, essentially the MC <laughs> for the global, uh, right. very well connected to all of the startup grind chapter directors around the globe, and you know has a bit of that rock star appeal. But if you talk to Derek himself, you won't find another person more humble and True. willing to help, and that heart to help that can sometimes be the, the biggest challenge of all because you want to help everyone, but you can't when you have a large scale organization, <laughs> yeah. right? So you have to right. distribute the work and distribute the, the attention right. to folks who can rise up and mm-hmm. be leaders in and of themselves to help right. bring some order to the community. No, that's absolutely true. I feel shout out to Derek. I've I've had the opportunity to meet him at uh, CMX conference yeah. uh, last year. Man, that guy is that guy is so humble. He always wanna he always finds time to talk to like you know uh, people like me who <laughs> who he never met. Right? Like I was just like roaming near the conference and I found Derek. Hey, hey this guy. Let's let 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 me say hi. And I feel. You you ha- you always have skin in the game, right? Like what you said exactly. to summarize what you said is, you have to have skin in the game. But it's also about finding people like yourself who will find other people like them, so that the community grows. And you you you. So I tweeted this uh, a long time. If I'm quoting it correctly, a true community leader's job is to f- build a set of community leaders. It's not bringing people together that is kind of like a subset but a true 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 community builders mm-hmm. role is to find other community builders in a community so that it grows like by itself yeah. right and it, and so it, you've oh and yeah, just right. you know interesting point there you know again the parallels between you know, founding a startup and founding a community in many ways you your founder you have to start firing yourself Hmm. from responsibilities because your role changes as your company starts to grow and scale, right? So you are no longer the chief accountant, chief HR, chief product person, chief this, that, and the other. Right. And your role becomes much more of the keeper of culture. Right. And being involved in bringing other people that have that mm. same vision, that have that same alignment to bring them into the fold as employees. And to your point, right. the same happens with community. You got to find people that have that same heart to give that same alignment to the vision, that same level Absolutely. of commitment to be part of that, that circle that, that leads and shows others what it means right. to be part of that community. Yeah, absolutely. Spot on again. Uh, I also have like a follow-up question. When you find these advocates uh, or community champions, whatever people want to call it, what qualities do you usually look in into them? Like, I I know the answer you're about to say, but I want to like maybe like you know I'm expecting to hear something very different from General Aston. So, any particular specific qualities that you found in in your experience that you want to highlight okay this is 
this is a must have in a in a community champion that you want to pass the baton to you want know, to think of traits of people that that understand community and are able to be those leaders I mean, partly yes it's about that heart to give mm-hmm. but let me provide some insights that may not necessarily be as intuitive Anyone who gets involved in a community does so for for some reason. They have some motivation inside them. Mm-hmm. And that's important to recognize if you are starting to build a community from the early days on. You got to understand the why, sure. what's in it for me, not from your perspective. Obviously, you want to start a community. Sure. You're really excited about it. But right. from the perspective <laughs> of people that would be potential members that we want to be involved in this community because we all have the same 24 hours of the day True. and the vast majority of it's taken up by mm-hmm. our own human needs, work, mm-hmm. family, friends, hobbies, school, what yeah. have you. And so what you're asking that exchange that you are, that you're putting out there is that these folks that you want to be involved in the community, you want them mm-hmm. to dedicate a sliver of that 24 hours to be involved in what you're trying to build and to align to your vision mm-hmm. without any sort of payment, without any sort of necessarily direct exchange. Mm-hmm. The same is true about leaders that you start to elevate and bring up in your own community. They have mm-hmm. motivations. Mm-hmm. And I think this will differ from different communities but what i noticed between the folks that did an incredible job being leaders Mm -hmm. driving results versus those that did not seem so committed was that the folks that truly shined as leaders were up-and-comers in their career they were ambitious they were driven They were Mm -hmm. sales managers or directors looking to take their career to the next level. Mm. Why does that matter? Taking on this type of leadership position gave them visibility, gave them uh, open conversations and open doors with other Mm. leaders that they wanted to meet up with, maybe for potential Mm -hmm. job offers or, you know, just again, like being part of a group of, peers true and so i keyed in on that element of of professional ambition mm-hmm. as an important thing that i looked at when i looked at all the different types of traits that i can evaluate for potential chapter leaders right that ended up being a critical one now i'm not saying that's mm-hmm. going to be the case for your community you know folks listening right you got to understand and be a little bit data driven behind this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we think about community as a lot of the fluffy, like warm feelings and connecting stuff. <laughs> There's also a data driven approach to driving success and to ensuring mm-hmm. that you have a healthy community. And one of those things that I started to track was you know, the different leaders I was bringing up who was mm. successful, who was not, and what were some of the parallels, what were some of the things or conclusions I could draw from these, right. from the information I was seeing. And that was one of the insights that, that at least I pulled from the data. You may pull other data or other results from your own data. Right, yeah. But I think it's kind of like a balance, right? Like you have a gut feeling, you, you sense that, at the same time, you have to look into data and make a make a well-informed decision, right? Like it's not you just blindly like pick someone and you know roll with them, which is which is which will be like a two-way two-way door. <laughs> well, look, I mean, to that point, there were some community leaders I had to have difficult conversations and ask for them to step down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe that you know, that was on me because 
they reached out showing interest. And I said, yes, it was a gut feel. You know, I made the call right. at the time right. because I didn't know. I didn't have all the data, right? Going back to what we talked about right. before around making decisions. But you need to be comfortable with that, comfortable with the fact that you will probably screw it up a whole bunch of times before uh, you get it more right than not. And particularly right. when it comes to volunteers, they're coming to you with, with that heart to want to be involved, to want to give in some way. So right. the only thing I'd say is, is always be incredibly respectful and, and humbled in that, in that exchange, in that, in that, that time when you have that engagement with folks who want to be involved. Right. Cause one, that's a great sign that people want to be involved. They want to volunteer. Right. They want to be part of, of the community, be active. Hmm. And two, you know, that is your opportunity to build these closer bonds. And that is so critical to the community. The underlying currency of any community is trust. Hmm. So whenever you can build those trusted connections with people at, you know, right. in different parts of the community, at different levels of the community, those are long lasting and fundamental bonds that will last even longer than the community itself. Hmm. That's yeah. Of course, I think trust. I think trust is the single, uh, single most pillar. I would say is to, yeah. to basically hold anything right. Like just, just, just in general in life. Uh, <clears throat> wow, you are, you are great at delivering these answers. I, I love. I so far it's been like an amazing conversation. I'm loving this. Let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your book community in a box so tell me about like how did you end up writing it number one number two is uh what is it all about what is something that people people or community builders should like you know can get out of it yeah the book was absolutely something i didn't expect to put together hmm. and Oddly enough, I think it ended up being my COVID project. You know, some folks <laughs> want to bake bread uh, right. or make pasta <laughs> or you know, build like sheds in the backyard. You know, everyone had these, these projects. Mine just happened to be writing a whole lot of words. The funny <laughs> thing was completely by accident. I just joined AWS. Obviously, during COVID, where none of us was meeting in person, including our user groups. Mm. We have hundreds of these user groups around the world, and then they just stop meeting. Right. So one of the one of my colleagues in developer relations reached out and said, hey, uh, to broadly to the group, does anyone have any any information or anything that you could share about managing user groups. Hmm. And I thought about it and said, oh, well, maybe I have something that could be useful. It was an operations hmm. guide that I put together for the enterprise sales right. community. Right. You know, so the enterprise sales forum, I had all these like chapters around the globe. And I needed something to formalize how we did things hmm. and our beliefs and resources. And I packaged this all together in 18 pages called the Ops Guide for the Enterprise Sales Forum. So I sent that over thinking maybe this might be somewhat valuable. But then I thought about it and I said, you know what? Hmm. There's a few things I didn't add. Like I neglected all the things that we had done around virtual events, which is super critical right now. So I started to add that. A few other tidbits I thought would be helpful. And before sending that along to my colleague, I reached out to a bunch of folks I knew and said, hey, would you care to review this and provide your thoughts? Well, I was pretty just taken aback by the response. I had 40 people come back with mm. really great feedback. I said, wow, okay, well, let me see like what I can do to incorporate some of these like really good ideas. Mm. 
Right. And after uh, a few weeks, I had, I went from 18 pages to 36 pages to <laughs> 180 pages. I said, okay, well, maybe this is a little bit more than just a, a guide or an ebook. Mm. This is a full-on right. book project. Mm. Investigated different routes of getting it out there. If I went the traditional publishing route, would have taken a year. I had publishers interested, but I'm like, you know what? I think people want this now. Mm. So again, just the timing, timing is really important. Exactly. I was like, you know what? People are starting to talk about community right now. Like it's Mm. super popular. If I wait a year, I kind of lose out on maybe some of that, that initial interest in the, in the rise of community as a, as a thing. Right. So I just figured out, well, I can hire a designer, I can hire a copy editor, and I can publish on uh, Kindle Direct Publishing, Amazon's uh, direct publishing platform. Of course, obviously. <laughs> Do it all myself, right? And right. I did that and released it uh, end of September 2020. Right. And I didn't truly promote it. I didn't go on some book tour or just mm-hmm. talk about community nonstop because I had other things I was doing as well. I had my day job at AWS, but lo and behold, it's kind of gotten out there. And every so often I'll see people buying the book and say like, like I had you know, a group of 20 people buy the book in Japan recently. I have no idea what's going on in Japan, right? <laughs> but right. one, I could say I'm big in Japan, <laughs> right. and, uh, but you know, I, I'll see people buying it in all different corners of the world. And I right. also do take a few copies with me wherever I travel in case I talk to someone who is actually in the process of building or contemplating community as a, mm. as a key lever of their startup. And mm-hmm. you know, it's just become one of these really great resources that folks are coming back to me now and saying, wow, this has been super helpful. Even folks like, uh, like Derek mm-hmm. Anderson, so and that was like really high praise that someone who is like the consummate community builder would say that he even found it valuable. Mm, that's all, yeah, I, 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 I'll be honest, I have to yet to get it. Uh, but I, I'm sure like, you know, the outline, the idea and the practicality of that guide will, you know, for surely help me. And of course, you know, helping many other founders as we speak uh, or community builders. If you have to pinpoint five things that you you missed in the book, what were, what what are those be like? You know, if if it's been like what three years, almost three years, you wrote the book. Uh, do you do you find anything valuable that you want to add that you want to mention in this uh, episode? I probably can't name five things. It's really not, I mean, it's really two aspects. One is refining the, the concept of the community flywheel. Something that I, I do a lot more of in my talks to talk about the process of, of growing and scaling as opposed to building a community. Uh, I do talk about that in the book, but from a, a, different perspective, a different framing. Right. The second thing is wanting to get more voices from around the world of different communities and starting to bring together that sense of what other people are experiencing in terms of Right. what has been successful right. and lessons that they've learned in the process of, of building, growing and scaling their own communities, mm-hmm. which I think is really important to have those differing viewpoints. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I, I'm always reminding, particularly in conversations with startup founders that I have is we're having a conversation because you reached out to ask me for advice on your startup. And the challenge is always, I don't understand. I'm not not living in your experience right now. Mm 
So I can only really frame things from what I've seen. Right. And, you know, I do have this wonderful vantage point of being a global startup advocate. So I can see what startups are doing in different parts around the world. And I can see from the earliest nascent stages of a startup all the way to scale and exited startups. But even with all that vast experience, I can never dive into your shoes to tell you sure. what is best for your situation. And I think the same holds true for community. True. So when people come to me for advice around, I'm thinking about building a community and this is what we're doing and this is like what we're serving. And this is our vision. The best I can do is you know, ask a few questions to help spur on your own thinking, maybe help to mm. nudge you in certain directions to right. think a little bit more intentionally about what you're building. Right. And the same goes with any sort of book. I think the, the thing that authors always struggle with is that they write the book and then immediately there's like all these things that they wish they could have uh, said because it's hard to necessarily include everything and it's hard to just capture all of that and then keep current over time because there's so much uh, new things. There's so many changes that happen. I mean, change is the only constant, right? That kind of the cliche there, but it's yeah. true. <laughs> and so there's so many things that I've learned in this process and the conversations I've had that that's why I think it's always good that in any sort of, uh, any sort of book or any sort of piece of content, if you can include the stories of others, I think it's just a much mm. richer experience and you can see those diversity of ideas and build upon that to build even better ideas. Mm. Yeah. I think that that's the, it's like a collection of uh, stories, right? Mm. It's, it's all about like narrating your stories. Yeah. That's what I do day them. in, day out is tell the stories of startups building on AWS and the lessons that they're learning from the entrepreneur experience, you know, both from a technical perspective as well as some of the business aspects because I think that is the most powerful medium by which to, to learn from. Absolutely. And I have to also acknowledge what you said about it's a self-exploratory journey as a community builder, just like any founder, right? You have to really, all you can do is to help others to like, you know, dig their own thoughts. And I think that's the best way to help them. Anybody like, you know, just in general, uh, Man, you're you're packed of a lot of good answers and good <laughs> I thoughts. I, I love I, I, I love I love this uh, this conversation particularly. So there's something I observed in my observation of you know building communities in my experience. Dev communities have something that's so amazing, right? Mm -hmm. Whoever builds like dev communities, they always stick together, like most most of them, and. In your experience, you've done, you've you've hosted or like you've built many communities before. In your experience, is there a magic or is there like a like a secret sauce that that you want to share? Like, okay, this is something that community builders should focus on, whether they're building a creator community or a SaaS founders community or or a writers community or any other. Mm -hmm. I think Dev community has this. I don't know, some, some sort of glue that binds them together, like, you know, for, for a longer time. Why is that? And what is your observation? I think people want to be around other builders. If you're building, you want to be around people that are also building stuff, cool stuff, you know, whether it's in robotics, whether it's software, uh, you know, indie developers, you know, great community, for example, of people mm -hmm. going out there, just building cool stuff, right? So, mm. you know, developers, they've been doing this for a while. I mean, I think community is funny enough, like just a core of what they do. Even back in the days when I was learning how to code and going on these bulletin boards, right? Uh, mm. Super early days when we were uh, all connecting on these like incredibly slow modems. 
but mm. we were still just amazed by how cool technology was. And so I think mm. just that, that desire to build something from scratch, to invent, to have a love of technology and the possibilities, it's already going to mm. be this amazing glue that, that brings people together. And we're talking about technology. I mean, this, you can do the same with people who want to build or create jewelry, right? Or, or mm. anything. You bring True. people that have that creativity, that, that fire, that passion, great things can happen. It's just that a community can coalesce all of that, all of that activity and all that effort and be a force multiplier. And that's why community is, is such an incredible dynamic. Robert Metcalf, I think, was had this real brilliant viewpoint on this. And Robert Metcalf, for folks that may not be familiar, he's the inventor of the Ethernet, right? The thing that connects mm. all our computers together. Mm-hmm. Just think about that for a second. Mm. If you connected yeah. two computers together, is that valuable? Of course, yeah. You know, maybe. Ten computers? Okay. A little bit more interesting. A thousand? Mm. What if you connected a billion computers together? Hmm. We have the internet, folks. The internet, the thing that we are on every single day, (laughs) the thing that we are communicating on, right? So that is exponential explosion of value that's created. That's why community is such a force multiplier, is so impactful for any sort of movement. And so developers are naturally going to be, you know, one community people mm-hmm. wanting to build cool stuff together. But one of the lessons I think we should take away from all of this, and I've seen time and time again, naturally forming communities, like in the open source world mm-hmm. are great. When a community is formed from a company with a commercial interest, corporations, Mm. what have you, you get into a bit of a danger zone Mm. around control, trust, this notion that you need to drive some sort of business metrics out of your Mm, community of course that may be misaligned to what is going to be valuable and helpful for that community in terms of being an open trusting combination collaboration of people you gotta be really careful there i've seen many communities get blown up when they started mm. opening the floodgates to sales and marketing. Right. That's not the purpose of community. Community and community can be a lever for growth. Of course. And it has been for AWS. Yeah. But you have to have a separation. You have to be very clear on what are the values and the impact that a community can bring outside of what your organization thinks about in terms of marketing and sales, they have to be very separate. Yeah, I think that's the key key differentiator. I feel, like you said, the reason why dev communities, they just stick together is because I think they, they want to explore how others are doing the thing they want to do without having these goals like chasing revenue or doing marketing things or like, you know, being flashy, right? It's genuinely like, I want to learn how other other builders are building yeah. or how to crack this code and whatnot. I feel, I think it's it's quite natural in dev mm-hmm. communities to like, you know, be together for longer. Yeah. So oh, Mark, I, I oh, do have like- I want to like, just one yeah. last point though. I want to like do a shout out to Jeff Lawson, who to me, uh, mm-hmm. founder, CEO of Twilio, who got it mm-hmm. right in that intersection of, companies and developer communities and for folks mm. that haven't like read his book or not familiar with jeff lawson check out uh, ask your developer i think if you want to build a developer community and you, you know haven't had that experience 
check that out. A lot of learning there. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we're, we'll include all the show notes, uh, the links in the show notes with, with your book, Jeff's book, and everything you mentioned, like in terms of resources. Uh, Mark, I have like three more uh, questions, sure. but I want to start off with, uh, before we end this episode, the first question I have is, you said many times in this conversation that you're more of like a story narrator and you bring the best stories out. Uh, in, in your experience of building communities, what are some crazy stories you heard that you want to share with our listeners? Crazy stories. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I've had the honor of interviewing many guests. Uh, I think the most fascinating one had to be Marcus Bullock of Flick Shop. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's an incredible story of redemption and the power of entrepreneurship mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. anyone can grab hold of. <clears throat> right. I think many people will think that it's too hard to do a startup. It's too hard to launch a business. Maybe that's not for me. Right. Right. And in our conversation, we started off by talking about Marcus getting arrested as a 16 year old mm. and spending eight years in federal penitentiary. Mm. He gets released. Mm. Not going to find a really good job because mm -hmm. he has that criminal record. Right. Starts his own business. You just mm. iteratively, you just, you know, got, you know, a job in a paint store. Mm went ahead and started to paint people's houses, mm -hmm. built that business up, and then went back to a, an idea that he had in his time in prison about connecting inmates to their families mm -hmm. and being able to right. have a much easier way of getting things like photos and letters to mm -hmm. inmates from their loved ones until he took the earnings from his painting business and started a tech company. Oh. A guy who had no experience in technology, <laughs> didn't know UX from UI to, you know, didn't understand the cloud, had right. none of that background, but he ended up making it happen, launching mm -hmm. FlickShop, having you know, just a tons yeah. of users, and now also starting things like an entrepreneurship school or mm. the formerly incarcerated. Talk about an incredible wow. redemption story. The power mm. of just being intentional and focused mm. and getting after it. Yeah, I mean, we, we mm. some of us make some pretty big mistakes in life, but you can recover. Right. Yeah. I think if you if you really follow your curiosity, I think that's the best way to come back right like fight back or get up from from the fall like whatever the thing that happened to you that's thanks appreciate for sh you know you sharing that that literally gave me like goosebumps i was like where is he going and i'm like wow you know uh love that story shout out shout out to him a couple more specific uh questions i want to ask about community building one is you've done many many events uh, in person, virtual, like so on. And you've, I'm sure you hosted conferences as well, and you've been to many conferences, right? What are some, uh, some things community builders should take care of? Uh, some tricks or trip tips in your experience that you want to share? Yeah. Uh, take care of your speakers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and I'd be very, very aware of asking for people's time to give freely, especially mm. if you are asking folks who are from underserved backgrounds. Right. Because they're always being uh, asked for their time to serve on you know, black founder panels or, or female developer, this or that. And doing so freely, I, I think is, you know, quite disrespectful. 
pay speakers. Mm. Understand that it's not going to be everyone. Like some are just a nonprofit and you know, they have a really good mission. But for particularly corporate, mm. anything that is sponsored, financial, where you have sponsors, pay the speakers. Right. Take care of that. Right. Second thing is if you're going to have a code of conduct, mm. you better stick stick by it. Mm. And you know, I've seen a few instances where uh, there was a bit of backsliding because of mm. you know the incident and people that were involved. Right. That's an easy way to lose trust with your community. So mm. have a code of conduct and stick by it. Mm. Yeah, I think two two most important pieces. Uh, any any specific. Uh, takeaways people should or takeaways from you that you've learned in in hosting like virtual events like take that clubhouse show uh, where you you don't have a physical interaction right like you don't know other people you've never met them but you're still bringing them together anything that you think people should be wary of yeah uh, be wary of boring content i mean <laughs> i'll tell you uh People want to take their same boring presentation or talk track and bring it over into the virtual world. That's an easy way to put people to sleep. Uh, you've got to really think about how to be creative, how to be engaging, right? And mm. understand that you're not going to have that physicality to, to almost be a cheat. Because when people are in person, you're all sort of trapped together. Right, right. You're not going to have that same that same advantage in the virtual or online space, right? So you got to keep it engaging. You got to keep it interesting. You need, really need to turn the knob on on where you're thinking in terms of uh, content depth. Hmm and engagement. I'm not saying that they're, they're counter, but you got to think about that's not just about the information, but it's also about the delivery and how right. entertaining you make it. And that might, mm -hmm. for folks that are maybe like a lot more technical or, you know, very deep experts that may seem offensive. What do you mean I have to entertain? <laughs> right, right. Well, <laughs> everyone's a we're all human. We all get distracted. Right. And if you're in a virtual setting, I could be, I could be listening to your talk. I could be checking email. I could be checking right. Slack. I could be turning off my video and going getting like a cup of coffee. <laughs> you may not be the most interesting thing right. to that person listening on the other side of the internet. Right? So, don't be afraid of the entertainment word. Think about how to add creativity, how to create or turn your content into a story mm. that draws people in. Mm. Yeah, I think I think captivating people's attention is is the most important thing. You know, when you do anything virtual, like you know, hosting an event or talking to a person or having a conversation, anything that's you have to have an edge and i think yeah. uh, creativity adding that you know flavor is going to really help so last question before we close out i think uh what i'm hearing from you over and over again is is building a community at scale and at a global level so in your words what's the best way to scale a community globally read my book <laughs> <laughs> how self-serving is that no, um, <laughs> there's many great books on community, but the point is actually is is spot on. Not not in terms of like okay, buy this book or that book, but learn, mm -hmm. listen to others, find people who have done this, and ask them questions. But once you've done the research, get off your butt and do. 
just mm. go for it. Yeah. I didn't have the benefit of like reaching out to other guys. I didn't know who to out, who to reach out to, but I, I still managed to get it done. You know, same with Derek Anderson, the startup grind, same with, you know, so many folks that have launched communities over the past, you know, decade or even before, and have been very successful with it. It's the fact that we all do our best work when we're intentional, we have that vision and you're always iterating, you're always learning, right? There's never any fatal mistakes. We just go down one door, doesn't work, check out the other door, right? The, you know, two way doors, you can go in, mm -hmm. go back out, mm -hmm. choose another door, mm -hmm. just go after it and see where it takes you. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how you do it. And Oh my God, I, I, I loved this conversation, Mark, and thanks for your time. And you know, this, there are so many insights people can grab. There are so many takeaways, so many lessons, so much wisdom, you know, in the, in the last one hour. And I personally learned, learned so much as well. I appreciate you for your time and any last closing thoughts before we wrap up the episode. Uh, yeah, Sharath, this has been super cool. I'm glad that we are having this conversation and you know, my, my earnest hope is that people listening to this conversation also find it valuable and uh, mm -hmm. they're always welcome to reach out to me as well. Um, yeah. Part of my role, whether it's related to AWS or not, if you are building communities, we'd love to hear from you. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep all the information where, where people should follow you, your LinkedIn, Twitter and all that. Uh, but that's it, folks. That's it. This is how you build a community at a global scale with empathy, with understanding, with listening and being very human, doing a bunch of things, taking shots, going, taking two way doors, picking those doors and taking one way doors and all that. So appreciate you for tuning in. Stay, uh, stay tuned for the next episode. We have a great, great lineup. And lastly, again, thanks, Mark. Uh, thanks for your time and your insights. Absolutely. Thank you. Cheers, guys.